This is the Lover and the Fighter podcast with Josh Cohen and Dean Thomas. This is allegedly the Lover and the Fighter podcast. It is episode one of none. I would be the lover in the form of brother love. Josh Cohen, and that is Dean Thomas. What up? Not a fighter, but the fighter. The. Literally just got off the radio moments ago, and now you've come for your third job of the day. You're that busy. I'm that busy, man. It's, it's tough work, but listen, I love what I'm doing. That's all that matters in life. We got five rounds, and hopefully time enough to get them all in. Let's begin with last Saturday night, UFC 261. You were cage side for it all, and we will begin as we go Five minutes on this first round with what the hell happened with Jake Paul, DC, and you. What the hell was that all about? No, nah, so they had beef on Twitter Jake between Jake Paul and DC. DC was kind of standing up for Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren. Mm-hmm. So Jake Paul went in on DC. So at the event, DC and uh, Jake Paul, tent, they crossed paths, and um, DC confronted him. He ran up on him. Like, DC ain't the one to play with, from what I understand. I understand, right. like... Back in the day, he would have just straight up slapped him. So he went up to Jake Paul so, and just told him. So you and D- DC kind of bonded on Friday when you did the weigh-in show together. Yeah. Prior to that, you never really hung out that much. No, we never really. I mean, I've known him throughout the circuit, but uh, we never hung you out. You knew each other, yeah. and you were friendly, but yeah. it wasn't like you became on Friday when you did the weigh-in show. Right. So you are Cade side because you're doing your first debut as an in-fight analyst, and you see DC now go over to Jake Paul. Yeah. Immediately, you spring into action. Yeah, well, I spring into action because, you know, obviously I wanted to go into action anyway, but Megan O'Leary. <laughs> Uh-huh. came up and got me and said, hey, DC's over there. Can you go check on him? So Megan Levy comes over to you and says, I think Daniel is about to get into a fight. Yeah. Can you go check on him? Yeah. And so you take your headset off and you're thinking, boy, oh boy, how am I always in the middle of this shit? No, I was thinking. Because so like, you always I, are. Yeah, but when that happened, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, well, first I was like, all right, she, she thinks I'm going to come over here and break it up. But I'm coming over here to throw the second yeah. punch. So like whoever was somebody else was going to throw the first punch, and I was <laughs> going to throw the second punch. Headline: Dean Thomas, the radio show that Dean and I do every day, Monday through Friday, on ESPN 106.3 in South Florida. Uh, we often talk about Dean Thomas being Dean. Headlines, Thomas, because you have a history of either being in the headlines, finding your way into the headlines, or making the headlines about you. I don't know what it is, man, but for whatever reason, I find a way to get in the middle of everything. Somehow, like, it always could come, can wrap back around to me. I don't know why, what it is that I do, but the universe rewards me for this. The headlines are like crack cocaine, and you are like Pookie yeah. in the movie New Jack City. I am. The shit just keeps calling <laughs> me, man. It's calling me, man. It it's keeps calling me. me. You just get drawn know, to I it. I don't know why. I don't know why it happens, but I'm always in the middle of all the controversy. 15,500 eyes all now draw. Actually, 30,000, 31,000 eyes. 15,500 pairs all looking at your direction. Daniel Cormier, Jake Paul, his bodyguards. And uh, you're thinking to yourself, ooh, these cameras are rolling. I'm going to make some Instagram stories. Yeah, well, not, not, not at first. <laughs> not at first. And that was a little bit later. So, I was, so, but first I wanted to make sure that, you know, nothing happened. Like, I didn't want to do the swing on D.C. Right. And, me, and him, you know, me not. Because I got a longer reach than D.C. Is that so right? I mean, yeah. So I wanted to make sure, like, if he swung on D.C., that I was, I was in within reach lane, uh, a range to hit him back. So, so why do you say that Daniel Cormier has arms like like a dinosaur in Jurassic Park? Yeah, he's like a T Rex. He got he got T Rex. He arms. got T Rex on. Not much on reach. He don't got the reach I got. Right. So like if he got swung on, I was ready to swing back. And as you and I discussed on the radio show that we do daily, um, if I were there and I cancel my credentials because I had to be in Miami Beach for World Polo League, if I were there, 
I would have been up behind you, and I would have shoved you into Jake Paul to get it started. Yeah, that would have been that would have yeah. been yeah. <laughs> fight, that fight, 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 fight. Yeah, but it's crazy because like when it first happened, like not everybody knew what was going on, but you always could tell that so- something is going on because there's always this energy. Mm-hmm. And you can feel the energy, mm-hmm. but then when it really popped off, that's when like everybody started looking. Breaking into percentages for me, Dean Thomas. What percentage of you is looking out for DC and protecting him? And what percentage of you is wanting a little attention and to get on some Instagrams and get a little spotlight? It was at least 50-50. All right, let's go 40% protect Daniel, yeah, 60%, 60% headlines okay, right, for you. Yeah, you know, yeah let's go 40-60. Let's go all right, let's go to round number two. And let's get into the fights, actually, of the night. Randy Brown and uh, Cowboy Oliveira. This was a one-arm triangle choke. You don't see that every day. Well, it, it, was a, a it was a, a one-arm rear naked choke. Correct. And um, Rear naked, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, so, but I mean, it's not uncommon. You know, it's really like he was able to get his arms are so long that he was able to cut off both sides of the carotid artery with one arm. But and, we don't see that that often at this level. You can see that in amateur fights or lower level pro fights. How often in the UFC do we see somebody rear naked choke someone else, male or female, with one arm? Well, he was also dazed, too. So we got to take True. into account that he had got hit with a right hand prior to that. So he didn't have all his wits about him to be able to stop it. Plus, what uh, Randy Brown did so brilliantly was that he put his head where his other arm would be. So his head served as the other arm. So he's using his head position. Yes, his head position. Offense. Yes, his head yeah. position was where the other arm would normally be. How many casual fans um, had never seen that before? How many casual? I mean, the UFC's exploded in the last couple of years, so you got lots of folks watching because there's the excitement of this card. There's the excitement. A lot of folks got interested in Jorge Masvidal. They think that he's the overnight sensation. They have no idea he's been doing this for 19 years. Mm-hmm. How many casuals were like, "Wait a second, you could actually do that with one arm"? Yeah, I would probably say six. <laughs> I'd probably say 60 percent of the people watching was probably looking and thinking, "Oh, he's only got one arm there, so he can't do it." But then when it happened, they probably looked at him and said, "Oh, I can't believe he tapped to a one arm choke." It's not the one arm. You have been in the fights, coaching, cornering, and broadcasting throughout the entire pandemic. Fans left, remember, after Brazil last year, late March, and then it was it. It was silent. Apex, and then, of course, to Fight Island. What did it feel like, like energy-wise, to be in the arena and there to be a sold-out crowd to be that loud? It had to feel unlike any of them had before because you'd never been without them before. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. You know what the craziest part was? That you could tell when somebody famous walked in mm. because everybody erupted. Like when Joe Rogan walked in, yeah, like the whole place went nuts. And that's a very Joe Rogan crowd. Yeah. Because they don't want to wear masks and right. they don't want to get shots. Right. And uh, they want to believe, you know, the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, so like he walks in and then the crowd erupts and he puts both of his arms up in the air like he just scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Like he's Russell Crowe in yeah, Gladiator. Yeah, he just puts his arms up. Us, yeah, I mean it was it was it was pretty bizarre. When Dana walked in, it went crazy. Yeah. So when yeah when the, when the people walked in, man, you could hear the crowd. So I had a theory when we were going fanless, and you were there to actually witness, as we just discussed. You were coaching, you were cornering, you were broadcasting. I had reason to believe that maybe no crowd might be a great equalizer where it may give some underdogs a better chance, where some of the stars, in particular the Conor McGregor types of the world that feed off the crowd, wouldn't have that, wouldn't have that flow, wouldn't have that vibe. What did you find to be the case? I found to be the case, like if you look at the first couple fights of the night, they were very fast early, mm-hmm. and that was because of the crowd. Right. You could see some of the earlier fights, especially there were a lot of debut fights, they came out guns blazing to try to appeal to the Because they got crowd. emotional. Yeah, they got emotional. They were playing to the crowd. They were playing to the crowd. And that wouldn't have happened 
at the apex. So, like, early on, you could see it. But then later on, as the fighters got a little bit more experience that we're used to it, so if you look at, like, if you compare, like, the first fight with the last fight, like, Usman was very composed and poised. Always. But the first fight, I mean, those two girls were just going at it. Yeah. Yeah. They early. were scrapping. Yeah. Yeah. It, going it, at it. Well, you know, the emotion off the crowd can lead you to becoming emotional. And you had this conversation with Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, just a couple of months ago on, actually, on looking for a fight. Mm -hmm. The uh, reality yeah. series you do with Dana Matsera. And he was telling you that, no, 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 you, the emotion is bad because you get emotional, you get tired. Yeah, you get tired. Your vision gets cloudy. Mm -hmm. Your perspective is cloudy. You don't make good decisions or your decisions Everything are a little bit speeds up. Yeah, so... Yeah, you, you have to be able to keep your wits about you so your timing is right so that you can see properly. All right, let's move on quickly then to uh, the dead feet of Jimmy Crute in the Anthony Smith fight. We saw a kick, and then we saw a dude unable to stand on his leg, and his foot was sideways, and it wasn't a break. This is a nerve issue. Yeah, it was a nerve issue, and like it's rare that you ever see things like that. The only time I've ever seen that in another fight, it was with an arm, and Seth Petrozelli got kicked in the arm, and his arm went dead. But it's not, I've arm. never seen, I've never seen, and he had to stop the fight. He, he tapped out for Really? Me. Yeah. But I've never seen it happen from a leg like that. And the guy continue to keep fighting and try to hide it as the round ended. Yeah. He wanted to hide it so he can keep fighting. But uh, you know what? Like, I think that was the right call to call that fight because, you know, he couldn't continue. That was the best part is the fact that he's thinking, hey, nobody knows yeah. that my foot is dead. Yeah. <laughs> nobody can, no one recognizes I can't stand on my goddamn foot. Yeah. And, and he, then they try to start the second I'm fine. He's dragging his foot. Yeah, he's dragging his foot. He's he's limping. He's it's like he almost missed the ground a few times when he tried to step down. This uh this ain't working. Yeah, this ain't working. Let's move on to round number three, and let's go from gross to more gross. We went from gross to grotesque, is what we did. Poor Chris Weidman. Three times in UFC history have we seen a leg break like this in action. Two of the three times it was Chris Weidman given to Anderson Silva 2013 and receiving as a result of trying to give just on Saturday night. What in the world, Dean Thomas, the sound that that made, more than even what it looked like, immediately watching from a hotel room on my phone, the sound of it I knew, something was very, very wrong. What did you know when? Well, I knew from the sound, too. So, like, I was watching the fight, and as soon as I saw the kick and I saw his leg fold, my body automatically shut off, and I turned my head away, <laughs> yeah. and I never looked back up. And when they kept playing the replay, I never looked up. So I only saw that one little piece of it. I never saw any more of it. What did the crowd sound like when they realized? Because immediately they didn't. But then they did. And the sound that was made by the crowd when they showed the replay, that was something we'd not heard. Yeah, the sound. The, so the crowd really realized it on the replay. Mm -hmm. Because when they said, we're going to play it again. And I could hear I could hear John Anik say, hey, we're going to play it again. And I, and I didn't look up. And, and that's I, coming through your headphones? Yeah, it's coming through my headphones. Okay. So then I didn't look up. I was just watching the crowd's reaction. And, like, they were all, like, doing that movie thing where you put your eyes, your hands in front of your and eyes. And you peek yeah, your, you your fingers. Anyway. And they were going, ooh. Or did they play it again? Ooh. Did they play it again? Ooh. But here's something interesting. Two of the three times, mm -hmm. I was at the event. So of the three times yeah. this has happened, you were there. I was there two of the three times. Were you happened. there for the first? I was there? there. I was there for the very first one with Corey Hill okay. in North Carolina. So you missed the Silva I and Weidman one. one. So Chris Weidman is not a young man. No, and he's talking about he tweeted out the X-rays of the before and after of his leg and the rod inserted. He's talking about six to twelve months return. Can he return from something like this, and can he fight at a level that he did prior? See, I'm very cynical about guys returning from injuries like this. Cynical or skeptical? Skeptical. Okay. So I don't, I don't know if he can return from this. You know, he's not a young guy. He was 
I mean, he had lost like four of his last five fights. Right, right. And I don't think he can return from it. So if you were to ask me to put money on. That's a bad injury. Yeah, it's, it's a bad, bad injury. I don't. I mean, he's looking at eight months before he can walk. Psychologically more damaging or physically structure-wise? Regardless of how tough you are mentally. Psychologically, you've got to think about getting kicked or being kicked and not wanting that. And I know you'll get past some of that while training and with your training and sparring partner and such. But which is more difficult? The physical actualities or the mental idea of... I don't want to stand on this leg and have you guys kicking it or try to kick with it. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about it like this. Like, Anderson Silva was able to come back, but he's a striker by trade. Right. You know, Wyman is not a striker by trade. He, In fact, he wanted to get away from striking as much as he could so that he could wrestle more. The fact that this has happened to him, I don't think he'll be able to stand in front of anybody without mm-hmm. thinking about it and, yeah. and being concerned with it. When you tore your knee apart and you got you tore your knee badly, mm-hmm. what'd you tear? My meniscus. Okay. Uh, that was a tough injury. That was a tough rehab process back. Getting back on the mat, getting back in there, before you even step into the cage, psychologically, did you question yourself? Do I want to keep doing this? Is it worth the pain? Is it? Does that enter into your equation? Or well, no, were you I mean, all full he, steam ahead? I was full steam ahead, but I, I knew that I had to adjust So my you're game. tougher than Chris Weidman is what you're trying to say. <laughs> so you're talking all this shit about no, Weidman. No, 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 no. So you're tougher. No, and you're, no, and you're, no, and you're tougher no, than no, 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 no. I'm no. playing. They know I'm playing. They don't. Now, I, I, I had to adjust my game, but that's my that's my point. Chris Weidman can't adjust his game. Like mm-hmm. you have to start on your feet. Right. Somebody's right. gonna kick your leg. Right. You wonder if Jimmy Crute's gonna try and start now just down on the mat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> he don't want to try and stand anymore. We got to speed it up because of time constraints and the clock doesn't add up. But we're gonna go right to round number four. <laughs> A little mystery there for you, Rose and the champ. Talk about sounds being made. Talk about an arena erupting. First of all. Let's get real on this for a moment. I have reason to believe that that Jacksonville, Florida crowd was very much rooting and cheering and celebrating a Chinese champion being knocked on conscience more than they were the Rose comeback and the great story that that is. There seemed to be in this era right now, in this COVID world, we see Asian hate crime. Tell me that I'm not wrong, that the crowd clearly wanted to see a Chinese champion rendered unconscious. Yeah, they unfairly painted this veil on her as this monster. Unreal. Yeah, so I think that was certainly the case, and Rose didn't help with her statements. So, you know, and Rose is my favorite fighter, so I'm not coming down on her, but I just think what she did was a bit irresponsible Mm. prior to the fight to get kind of more hate. Because she was fueling the fire. Yeah, she was fueling the fire. So, like, yeah, I think that people were really looking forward to seeing uh, Whaley Jean lose her title. Uh, that was a minus 205 favorite with a plus 180-ish on the comeback. So not a major upset. But what we had seen from the champion prior, it was slightly of a surprising of result, particularly that it went down that way. She just got flat caught. Yeah, I mean, she just... She got caught. I mean, she got set up and caught. Like, I mean, that was a very... She took the bait. Yeah, that was a very deliberate strike. Like, Rose was look, moving in and out, looking down. And then she took the bait. Now, Whaley John never had the best defense anyway, and mm-hmm. I, mean, I know they took advantage of that. I just thought that she would be tough enough to take Rose's shot. She obviously wasn't, and she had to pay for it. Was that fight stopped too soon? No, it wasn't. That fight was stopped right when it should have been stopped. Who was that, Keith Peterson that was yeah, on that fight? Keith Peterson. It was stopped when it should have been. Should, We've yep. seen some of these title fights go longer, though, out of the idea of, well, folks buy the, bought this pay-per-view, and this is what they came for, maybe a little longer. That one seemed to stop, as you said, right when it was supposed to. Some argue a little early. Yeah, it's like I, I've, I haven't heard much argument about it being a little early. Uh, and again, that might have to do with the bias that we have. That, mm-hmm. You know, they wanted her to lose anyway. Sure. So, the, you know, if they you got the result to, they wanted. Yeah, you got the result. Oh, let's move on. The crowd's reaction. 
more celebrating Rose and this cr- an incredible comeback story or that the Chinese champion was knocked unconscious? I think initially when it first happened, I think that the the visual of watching a Chinese girl fall yeah. was like they were celebrating that. But then, when you, yeah, then when you get Rose's story behind it, then you yeah. go, okay, I'm, I'm rooting more so for Rose than the demise yeah. of Whaley Zhang. I'm not here to preach to anybody, but I like to celebrate accomplishment more than, you know, taunt yeah. and or try to have political overtones as such. But that may be the case because the time constraints will pretend that was five minutes. And we'll get to the fifth and final round of this Lover and the Fighter podcast episode one. Brother Love, Josh Cohen, that's me. Dean Thomas, that is he. You can figure out who's the lover and who's the fighter, clearly. And in the main event of the evening, it was Kamar Usman extending this remarkable and record-setting welterweight win streak and Jorge Masvidal, who had the come-up of nobody's business in 2019. No one had a come-up year like Jorge Masvidal did. Financially, status, celebrity, you name it. This was obviously the rematch of the six-day short notice from last summer. This was an outcome I don't think anyone expected. We expected Usman to win, but you're talking about grinding out a win. We're talking about a fifth-round decision. How shocked were you that that right hand came and spun Jorge Masvidal around, knocking him out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody was shocked. I mean, what happened, we couldn't believe what we were watching. Like, I couldn't believe my eyes. Yeah, corkscrewed. Yeah, I mean, he totally spun around like Popeye. Like, I, mean, but, it was a, I was just going to say it was a Popeye yeah, cartoon. <laughs> yeah, he spun him around, and, like, nobody saw it coming. And, I mean, when you look at the replay of what Usman did, I mean, it was just brilliant, brilliant technique. The setup, the execution, brilliant technique. And, you know, Masvidal just wasn't ready for that. He's lapping the division. Obviously, his win streak in the welterweight division unparalleled. He's going for the all-time win streak in UFC history. But he's lapping the division. What fights make sense? Colby Covington, a rematch does because that went to the final minute of the fifth round. And then your boy Khabib. Yeah, That, that could make yeah, sense. That, that, that would make sense if, if Khabib wanted to come back. I doubt he would, but I think the Covington fight will will happen. It does make sense. It will happen. I'm going to disagree with you, and here's why. I'm going to disagree with you. Khabib wouldn't fight Conor because he wouldn't want to give him that attention, wouldn't want to give him that love, want to, want to give him that money. Khabib might fight Kamar Usman because he's a respectful champion. He's respectful of the sport and the game and of his opponents, and I don't think Usman would be someone that would rub Khabib wrong in the sense of, you're an opportunist. You're social climbing. You're using me for this fight. This may be a case of you're the best in this in record set, and I've got good reason now to challenge myself against. See, but here's the thing, though: is I think they're such good friends that he wouldn't even he wouldn't he, do he, it. Did he? And if he was still active, I think that he would have took the fight. But I don't think he would come out of retirement. So what's left? To fight him. So what's left? Colby and who? Colby, uh, Wonder Boy. If Wonder Boy gets past Gilbert Burns, really. Mm-hmm. To come back around, well, now he's really circled the division if that's the case and yeah. lapped him. So I mean, I think that's what they're looking for. Looking for, I think they think Wonder Boy is going to get past Gilbert Burns. All right, and that's the only fight you can see for Kamaru Usman. Yep. All right. We'll call it time because we're in a rush. We got to do a radio show after this. What's next for you, broadcast wise? What's coming up on your schedule? Oh, I got. Uh, what do I have? Oh, I'm, I'm Houston. Working, yeah. Well, I'm working the desk for uh, next week. The what, what was supposed to be the Dillashaw. Okay. Uh, Sanhagen fight, but Dillashaw. So you'll be on pre-show? Yes, yeah, so I'm on post-show? Pre-show, pre- and post-show first. All right, and then what about Houston and on then the I'll be, And then I'll be doing a Houston show, uh, the weigh-in show. You're, you're a big star now. Yeah. What are you doing stupid uh, podcasts like this for? Practicing. <laughs> for the big time. Yeah. For the real stuff. <laughs> no, no, man, this is, this is my day job. For Dean Thomas, Josh Cohen saying thank you for listening. Subscribe, download, whatever. We don't care. It's free anyways. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Lover and the Fighter Podcast.